Hi, thanks for watching. This is some highlights from our online sessions that I call the Inner Sanctum online sessions. And I edit out about 40 minutes from our teachers free for you to watch because people that join our online sessions, it is a paid service. It is part of the way I make a living and help other teachers promote their work. So if you'd like to join the online Inner Sanctum group sessions, we have a guest teacher once a month and I teach once or twice a month deliberate creation and energy exercises and how to tap into your intuition and how to be more psychic and all that good stuff, please sign up on the website, uh, Karen slash Inner Sanctum. It's not expensive if you sign up now. So I hope you join us if you're somebody that wants to make a difference in this world and feel like you've got something to share and you'd like a little support team and meet other teachers and meet some of the guests I have on the show and hear wonderful stories and wonderful teachings. So enjoy the highlights. Big love. Bye for now. Hello, welcome to the Inner Sanctum. First one for the year 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2020. Can you believe it? Can't believe I'm still alive in 2020. Uh, especially when I thought about 2020 when I was a child. I thought I'd be so old, I must be dead by the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, crazy, right? I remember thinking about going from the year 1999 to 2000, I'd be 37 and how old that would be. I'd be too old to even party. That's what I thought when I was a kid. Anyway, here we are in 2020 and Michael Tamora is our guest teacher in the Inner Sanctum. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. It's great to be here. I never even thought of 2020. <laughs> when you're a kid, really? I just wanted to get old. <laughs> so yeah, I used to tell I used to tell my parents, you know, I can't wait till I'm an old man. And they'd say, Why would you want to be an old man? I said, Well, it's not gonna be until I'm an old man that anybody will listen to me. Wow! Did you know that? Did you know yeah, that when you were I a saw kid? that as a little kid. I thought, oh yeah, it's just people aren't ready to hear a child, and uh, or a young person even. So, I started teaching when I was twenty-one, officially. But uh, I was I was teaching when I was about seven or eight years old. I grew up in Japan, of course, and. And in our little neighborhood, oh, two houses down was a, um, what do you call those places? Boarding house. It was a boarding house for young Japanese young men who were graduated from high school. But in Japan, it's very difficult to get into a good university. So a lot of kids would spend a year or two years after high school just full-time studying to be able to pass the entrance exams. And this was a boarding house for up to about four or five young men who wanted to study for a year or two for their board uh, entrance exams. And somewhere I found them and uh, I'd follow them back to their place and we'd have a little powwow and, and we'd talk about, you know, life. How do you, how do you have life and what's life about and all that stuff. And they thought I was a peculiar kid. <laughs> and plus, especially at that time, every young Japanese person, especially in college or high school, college, or just out to work, wanted to learn conversational English. 
So I would teach them some English, and and then in return, they take me with them to the the ball field and play catch and baseball with me. So I thought that was a great situation. <laughs> but so once in a while, I found few people who would who were interested in what I had to say. But in most cases, even people who were initially interested, once I start talking, they'd just be gone. <laughs> uh, you know, Sherry and I were just talking about that because Sherry was the first person on and we were speaking about levels of conversation. She was saying, I can't believe there's not hundreds of people in the inner sanctum. And I said, no, the inner sanctum's not a conversation for everybody. You know, it's, it's a conversation that's really only available when you're at a certain level of understanding and wanting a certain level of desire, wanting to sort of be of service and be more tapped into who you truly are and not be so run by the ego, which most of us are. I mean, I'm still run by my ego, but at least I can witness it and say, oh, there's the ego. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and Why it's noisy. <laughs> it's noisy, very noisy. Uh, but, you know, like, I think that like you, Michael, I started this, you know, putting myself out there as a teacher. Well, you much longer ago, but me about 20, 25, maybe 30 years ago. And didn't have a lot of, like in my 40s, I struggled to get any attention. Why I saw other people take off and I'm like, what's wrong with me? But what I see, it's the level of conversation and what people are ready for, what people are ready to listen to. And I don't think that collectively until this time, people have been ready to have this conversation, which is why it's so important to really get out there and have it now there wasn't a lot of people like your friends. <laughs> to, to, oh, we don't want to hear what you have to say. What do you think about all that? Well, it's true. It's exactly like you say. It's getting to the place now. People are, they're, everyone's waking up at a, where they're at. So it's like, you know, it's like school. It's got grades in a sense. And some people are waking up in kindergarten. And other people are waking up in third grade or high school, college, whatever. And so everyone's waking up at their level, but each level is so different. So if you're waking up where you're just starting to become conscious about the environment and, oh boy, if we don't start, you know, doing something, none of us are going to make it. So that's, that's one kind of waking up. But a person who's at that level doesn't necessarily think about even what happens when you die or think about what spirit is or is there God or anything. And especially now that so many souls have gone through traditional religion. And, you know, they found some answers, but to a large, to a large degree, they get to a certain point and, okay, I like the, the community aspect, the social aspect. I like going to ch church service or whatever like that. But when it really comes down to getting, you know, great answers for the difficult questions that people start to have and as they advance in their spiritual growth, a lot of times the religion doesn't have it. You know, it's just follow the rules, follow some more rules. So you got to 
work and you have to follow all these rules. You go to school, you have to follow these rules. You go to turn to your religion and you have to follow all these rules. And pretty soon, the more aware ones start to go, wait a minute, you know, I've had enough of this. And that's, that's a difficult place because after that, a lot of people get, they confuse God and spirituality with religious dogma. And so they, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? They go, okay, none of this anymore. We don't want any, I don't want to hear about God, you know, shut up. <laughs> and so, or even spirit. Uh, and some people actually even proclaim to be an agnostic, which is not true. Once they go through some kind of a belief in God, spirit, and something beyond this thing here, you can't go back to being agnostic or atheist. That's just an idea that I don't want to believe in religious dogma. So where do you go after that? Well, once you get past the religious stuff, but you don't have the answers, and that's when for the soul, getting ready to wake up at this very critical juncture gets to be very, very difficult. Nothing that used to work works anymore. And, and that's a tough place because especially by that point, that soul is pretty successful in the world. They're not starving to death usually. They're not, you know, in poverty. They're not whatever. They're, they're pretty high up in business and, and commerce and politics and intellectual pursuits all kinds of things. They, they might even be world-renowned, but they still have personal problems and, and pain and unhappiness, and no amount of money is going to cure that, and no amount of money is going to cure some terminal disease that they don't know what to do with. And so they start to get to this place of, hey, have I thrown everything I know at it, and I'm a cap capable person. I've proven to myself I'm very successful in everything, yet I don't have the answers. Where do they go? That's the point where a lot of souls, if they haven't done that before, that's when they think about knocking themselves out, right? Committing suicide. I got to get this pain is too much. The psychic pain is too much. I got to do myself off. Well, any soul who's gotten that point and done that once, <laughs> When they come back, they're going to have the intuitive knowing that, you know what? This seems familiar. <laughs> Been here, done this before. <laughs> and when they get to that up against the brick wall and they're going, I'm going to kill myself. You know, I, I can't handle this anymore. They're going to think twice. And they're going to go, now that might not be the answer. And after that, I can't even kill myself anymore. Right, because there's this intuitive knowing that that's not going to end it. <laughs> so, okay, if I got to figure it out, and everything I know how to do doesn't work, ah, that's when the person, the only place they can turn to, is within. It's the only place. It's not out there. It's not in the world, and it's not even in killing yourself. So somehow. I'm it. I gotta, I gotta somehow give it up. 
And at that point, that soul turns within for the first time and starts to get on their path. It's the very beginning. And they're going to go on and off for a while at that point. But that's the beginning. Everyone here in, in this session has been there umpteen lifetimes ago, right? You've been on the path for quite a while as far as going toward who you really are. And so this, if, if spiritual growth, evolvement, soul development is like a clock, then we start at midnight or, you know, 12 o'clock. And, and that first quadrant of growth for the soul, you go through many lifetimes going through that. Basically, that soul's an atheist. There's, there's no belief in God. There's no belief in anything more than I'm this body. I'm going to survive as much as I can and figure out how to make it. And then the second quadrant from, say, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, that's the soul that's in traditional religion and philosophy, intellectual, academic pursuit, all of that. Then the six o'clock point is where I was talking about, when they just, nothing works anymore from anything they've done in the first half of their evolution. Once they turn in, make that initial decision and commitment to turn within, then they end up in the second leg, the round trip. You know, if, if soul development was a round trip ticket, they just bought the second leg, the return trip home, and so from there, it all becomes about returning home. And so it's this third quadrant from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock that's what all of you are interested in out there in the world. Those are the souls that's ready to hear what you have to say. And that quadrant, souls in that quadrant are starting to increase. Today, there's probably more souls ready in that quadrant to start to get onto their real spiritual uh, process are incarnated. And there's going to be more. Yeah. Yeah. The guidance that I've been given is that this time of awakening, I don't know, it's a bit like it's just they've turned up the dial on who's awakening on, on people sort of like having that exactly what you're talking about, that awakening experience. It can happen dramatically as many of the people on the show have had, like we, Sharon and I were talking about Elisa Medhus, who was a doctor, a mother of five, and then her son commits suicide, kills himself with a gun. And that was like her wake up call, which is a pretty dramatic wake up call. Yeah. But it can happen softly. You know, you just have a conversation with somebody and they're like, gee, that makes so much sense than what I've been taught. Like, tell me more. You know, that's, a, that's the soft way of waking. <laughs> yes, I always, I've always been a, you know, I don't like to work hard, <laughs> go through pain. So I found the best way to grow is to learn from everyone else's mistakes as much as possible. And how I learned to do that is one of the things that Jesus taught was to his disciples was you have to, before you try to reach in and take that little speck out of somebody else's eye, you have to pull the log out of your own eye. What, what did he mean by that? 
And he was teaching that in general too, but especially to his students, to his disciples, because they're the ones going out into the world to teach everybody else, right? So, and they're, they're the healers. They're the teachers. They're the guides. And they're the sensitive, aware ones compared to most of the people. So what happens to us when we're in that position is invariably in the beginning, we want to jump in and save everybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> save the whales, save the humans, everybody. And so, <laughs> so we tend to overstep our bounds and, and just... That's that reaching in. Oh, I see a little speck in your eye. Let me, let me grab. I must be uncomfortable. You're going to go blind. Here, let me save you from yourself. Doesn't work. We've all done it, right? It doesn't work. If you, you know, you know, you see so clearly that other person got a problem. And if you do ABC, that problem's going to go away. You know, it could be as easy as some medical problem, but you know, all they have to do is take some vitamin C and it's going to get better. Well, that person, no matter what you do, you know, they're going to go, no, no, no. I'm going to go get surgery instead. Or I'm going to have a transplant of my brain, whatever. And, and you go, no, don't do that. doesn't work. So we all know that. And we tried it so many times with so many different people because we see what's good for them, what's gonna, what the answer they need. But they're not, again, ready to hear that answer. They're not at that place where they can have and receive that simple answer. They have to go through all kinds of stuff before they go, okay, I give up. I'm willing to listen to what's inside, not what some expert told me to do. So then, once you're working with those people, how do you learn from where they're stuck, ah, that's where taking the log out of your own eye comes. Because what's the eye? It's really the mind. It's our consciousness. And if you look at life, if you look at every moment of anything you've ever experienced in life, you went through, you'd say, you were talking about your story, my story, whatever. Whatever experience you've had, well, guess what? That's all we ever have is experience. We have ideas, but we experience, oh, this thought, and we go, hey, that's a great idea. It's just experience. So where do we have every single little experience we've ever had in any lifetime? In our mind, in our consciousness. Without that, there's no experience. Yeah? And so consciousness doesn't exist in spirit the same way that we know of it here. Okay? Because consciousness, by the very definition, is two. Spirit is one. Spirit is unlimited. There's no beginning and ending. But consciousness begins and ends. It's got to, I'm conscious of you. Okay? There's got to be consciousness and the object of consciousness, the one being conscious and something other experience that we're conscious of. So when we start to really examine our experience of life, 
everything that, quote, happens in life and happens to us in life and everything we go through in life, we create in life. Guess what? How do we know about any of that? Oh, we're conscious of it. We're experiencing everything in our consciousness. Or another word for it is our mind, but not our little mind that we say, this is my mind. It's the mind. It's limitless. So we're experiencing every little thing, everything we feel, everything we see, everything we have a psychic perception of, everything is in this one mind. Huh. And that's how we're psychic. Once we realize, hey, the mind isn't just this little thing in my brain. <laughs> the brain's puny compared to the mind. Everything I can ever experience and know and whatever is in the mind, which means what you consider to be your mind and your mind and your mind, it's all in the same, same consciousness. So once we recognize that, then, oh, then we can see how you go about things, what you're experiencing, what you're expressing, all of that, it shows up. We call that the aura and stuff like that, but it shows up. Everyone's communicating everything about everything all the time. So once we start to realize, okay, it's all experience. If I look at someone and I'm seeing this sliver in their eye and I'm going, oh no, you're going to go blind or it's going to get infected unless I pull it out for you. Even if I were a doctor, and I know how to do that cleanly and surgically or whatever. What's compelling me to jump in and do it for you? Oh, because I'm afraid. I have these judgments that having that sliver in your eye isn't good. It's bad. It's not good for you. And I know what's better for you. So I'm going to jump in and yank it out of there, right? Whether you like it or not. Ah, I got a lot of judgments now all of a sudden. And I'm right. You're wrong. All this stuff is in my mind, so-called my mind. Yeah? It might not be in your mind, your part. It's in mine because that's what I'm experiencing. But almost everybody thinks, no, no, no. The reality is you have this and you are the one with the problem. No, it's not. I'm the one experiencing that you have a problem. You might not even, you might have chosen that to be one of your most important lessons of life. So who am I to take that away from you, right? So that's why I have to take all these judgment pictures and, and these competition pictures and I'm the right one and I'm better than you, everything, all those things, I have to pull out of my eye so I can see clearly. That's what clairvoyance is, being able to see the truth clearly. But we can't see the truth clearly as long as we're looking like this <laughs> or actually like this. <laughs> oh, Michael. 
ah, uh, you always do this every time you speak. I, I don't know. Look, I'm just going to open the floor up to everybody. I'm just going to unmute everybody. You always speak directly to what's going on in my life. Every time you come on, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he's pro you're probably speaking directly to other people as well. I'm just going to tell my story and then anybody else can jump in with your story. you like, over Christmas, I went down to see my brother and sister-in-law. I hadn't seen them for a whole year. We just hadn't crossed paths, right? And I'd had that thought about people awakening, people that choose to stay really um, cloistered, like really sort of not focused on anything outside their reality. Are they going to come along with the ride as we move into a new earth and all enlightened? Are they going to come or are they not going to come? And like, how's that all going to work? That's the question I'd had. And I thought about my brother and sister-in-law. She sort of dabbles on a few subjects like meditation and she listens to me rabbit on about ETs and all sorts of stuff. Um, but when I went down there, I have known my sister-in-law. We went to school together. So I became a vegetarian at 18. So she says, I'm, I'm you know, going to prepare dinner. Don't bring anything. I've got all the food. I've got so much food. Please don't bring anything. So I arrived there. We have a lovely time for a couple of hours. But I have this thought around five o'clock. I wonder if she's actually catered to my vegetarian sort of vegan dietary needs. <laughs> <laughs> I said, now you have got food that I can eat tonight, haven't you? And she says, well, what do you mean? Now, we are in our late 50s. I've known her since I was 16 years old. She knows me, right? And it's been a conversation we've had many times. And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, you know that I don't eat meat or dairy. And she goes, no, I haven't catered for you. <laughs> and I'm like, this can't be, I can't be having this conversation again. I can't be having this conversation <laughs> It's just impossible that she's like, how many years can you have your head in the sand and not know that your sister-in-law doesn't eat meat or dairy? I mean, that's just... anyway, so I go, I'll go to the shop and get something. And it sort of blew up and my brother got really angry and he starts yelling and screaming at me and, and it sort of all just blew up and I just ended up leaving. So I'm driving home and I've been thinking about it ever since. What do I, how do I respond? So this is where the log in the eye is happening, you know. Because in every part of my being, I want to tell them how ignorant they are. They've got their head in the sand, you know. Like I, I want to sort of judge them for being idiots. <laughs> and that Paul's screaming at me, like telling me, saying horrendous things and screaming like a volcano. And I just look at him. He had a heart attack a couple of years ago. And I said, Paul, you've got to calm down. You're going to have another heart attack. And he's like, I didn't have a heart attack. He didn't have a heart attack per se, but he had... Um, where he couldn't breathe so he didn't actually you know and so that's the level of fight that he was in and I just went up and I just kissed him and I just said I love you I love you calm down you know you've got to calm down I love you and he says well you don't show it you don't show it and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> I'm driving home thinking he's the one screaming at me but I'm the one that doesn't show love right <laughs> I'm the I'm the vegan, mostly vegan, so I'm trying to help the environment by, you know, not trying not to practice unsustainable practices, but I'm the one that doesn't show love. You know, I'm going through all these thoughts and I I want to sort of I've not spoken to them because I don't know how to respond without being in my ego, which is all about they're judging them, you know what I mean? So I haven't responded. <laughs> I want to kind of come back and be loving, but all I can think of is how ignorant they all are. 
<laughs> I'm sure that other people have experienced this in their family. <laughs> Maybe not with clients that come because obviously when people come to you for some sort of healing or advice, now they're open to the conversation. Maybe they're open to the twig being. But when it's your family, that's the conversation we're having, right, Michael? It's like Yes. Well, I always say a soul chooses his or her most, uh, what would you say, uh, important lessons to learn in a lifetime to work it out through some member of the family. <laughs> because strangers, you could just hang their, your phone up, you know, and says, I'm not going to talk to you. You can walk away from a shop clerk. You can walk away from a cab driver, you know. But you can't get rid of your family, even if you move across the planet <laughs> they're gonna come after you <laughs> so so you you embed the most important lessons you have to learn in people in your relationships with people who are never gonna go away <laughs> they're gonna live to 150 and you're gonna die before them you know that kind of situation and which gives us Number, you know, so many opportunities to come around. The people think that, oh, I'm being punished because I'm running into the same situation, same type of person who just, you know, does it to me every time. That's not true. It's not being punished. It's, it's part of grace. We're being given another opportunity. It's like a very lenient school where if you flunk the final exam, you get to take it again next week. If you flunk it again, you get to take it again next week. You can get, take it over as many times as you need to take it until you pass. Because in this school, everybody has to pass. And so, so the family situation, they don't know it. They might not be doing it out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> but they're the... Uh, what would you say? They're the medium for giving you the lessons that's going to bring out. What are these logs in your eye that you have to pull out? Your your sister-in-law and brother are not idiots. Now, you know that. But they're not idiots. They're just unconscious. That's a big difference. So some of the most brilliant geniuses in science or mathematics could be unconscious in personal relationships, right? So it's, it's not a level of lack of intelligence. It just means they're ignorant. Well, I think in when a lot of Buddhist teachings, it's written as ignorance. He talks about ignorance being the cause of suffering. But in modern-day English, I think it's closer to unconsciousness. He's talking about, oh, yeah, all suffering comes from unconsciousness. So what happens when you're in relationship with someone who's very unconscious in a certain area that you're extremely sensitive and aware in? That's where the friction happens, right? Because you're, it's so obvious, especially after all these years, and you've told her umpteen times, it's not that she didn't hear that you're a vegetarian. It's that in her values that doesn't mean anything 
it's like saying, you know, um, I like my food a little sweeter. Okay, but I don't make it that way. The end. So it's, I like to have just vegetables and, and non-dairy and non-meat products. That's how I like to eat. And she's going, well, I'm the cook. You know, I, I'm cooking and you're, you're the uh, un, ingratiate, you know, you're, you're ungrateful. You're being invited. I'm feeding you. You don't have to bring anything. And what's wrong with you that, you know, you don't like my cooking? You complain about it even before I serve it. You haven't even tried it. So she doesn't hear you at all that what it means to be vegan. So that's, that's where she is. So in her side, the little speck in her eye, what we call that, the speck in the log, what we call that is matching pictures. Her matching picture with you is, no, I'm the one who's being attacked. I'm the one who's being not heard, not, a, not appreciated. I'm the one inviting you, and you're not appreciating a single part of my meal, even though I'm the one who did the work, who spent the money, who did everything to feed you. And you're not going to eat it because it doesn't have, you know, uh, shavings from the lawn. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And also, on a, it's culture, it's programming too. What makes a person unconscious is they're so entrenched in this is the way of reality. This is what's important. This is what it is all about. Absolutely. And they can't see anything beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And you're, you're presenting huge stuff all over the map, but not in this little box. Yeah. Because that's what you're about. You're a teacher. You're a shower of the way. And you're going, wait a minute. It's time to get out of this box. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so you ought to introduce yourself to her and your brother as, guess what? I'm your worst nightmare. <laughs> Are you prepared? I'm coming to dinner. <laughs> I'm going to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like that. My darling, when I am their worst nightmare, you've got, you hit the nail. <laughs> Absolutely, I am their worst nightmare. Yeah. Any questions? Has anyone got anything that you'd like to say? I just wouldn't mind making a comment. Um, uh, you know, got to pull the log out of our eye to see clearly. How perfect is that in 2020? Clear vision. <laughs> clear vision, I know. Clear vision, 2020 clear vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. For that. I, I see that. That this year is, I have a great feeling about this year. Not so much of things are going to get so much better in the world, but for those who are seeking their spiritual path and more awareness, mm. I think this year is going to be a great year for anyone who's interested in spirit and becoming more aware and healing, Absolutely. those kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cecil has something. Yeah. One of the things 
that I experienced during the third time I dropped dead is I was taken to immediately to uh, this space that I really can't talk about because there's no words, there's, not, not, there's nothing to be able to be said about it. But when I was shifting out of that to in my slow process to return here, I was surrounded by these gigantic angels. Then once I was let out of this total inner sanctuary, inner sanctum, actually, <laughs> then there was, as far as I can see, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of exactly like what you saw, but these are angels that surround, in a sense, that what I call the eternal flame of God's love. Nothing can get through. There's no connection. See, people think that, oh, God's abandoned me because I'm here and I'm in this mess and I've asked for help and he doesn't show up. <laughs> well, the true sense of God as the transcendental divinity is beyond all of this, is the absolute, is not in this world. Doesn't, well, I won't say not in the world, is not part of it, doesn't interact. Because when you're in spirit, none of this stuff exists. It's not real. It's all stories. It's all stories in everyone's minds. And so there's not a direct interaction. And the part that interacts with who we are here in this story is what we call spirit, with a capital S, yeah? That dynamic power of God is what bridges. And that's the bridge that each one of us is able to follow back to our origin, back to who we really are. And so that's, that's essentially what spiritual path is, is becoming aware, oh, there's this beingness, there's this power, there's this something that's beyond everything, that's limitless, timeless. And if we start to recognize that, and start to realize, realize meaning making that, making that which we call spirit more real than the body, than this world, than whatever we go through in this world, then we're home free. Yeah. So this was such a profound Everyone still want to wake up in their own time. Some people are gorging on the feast and some people are just taking little bites. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to be here with you again. And Karen, you're doing an amazing job, by the oh, way. Thank you, darling one. You're this doing an amazing stuff, job. This is the stuff that, you know, is changing the world. Yeah, so, we're all changing the world in our own little way. The message today, which is probably the message that should come from every spiritual teacher is, 
it's not so much about changing the world, it's changing ourselves. And as we change ourselves, the world changes. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic.